invite you to turn me to the letter of Jude. If you're new with us this morning or joining us online, just go to the last book of the Bible, hang a sharp left, and you'll be at the book of Jude, the second to last book in the Bible. And we are slowly making our way through Jude, and this morning we find ourselves uh, wrapping up kind of a section. We're in the middle of this this thought uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by Jude in verses uh, 8 through uh, 13, in which he begins, um, just to put it bluntly, he begins his attack on these false teachers, these apostates, or these people, as we'll say most often as he describes them, as we saw last week. And so, uh, kind of in the middle of this, uh, this assault on these who, have co- those, these who have crept into the church, unaware, as he says, and so, uh, not necessarily a very fun message and a fun, fun few weeks here, but we're going to deal with what the text deal with, and that is uh, these deplorable individuals. Can we call them that? Can we call them deplorable? Good, because we're going to embrace it and call them deplorable individuals who have crept into the church and who are not, um, not full of the Holy Spirit, who have not surrendered to Christ, and they are doing great damage, and this is what Jude writes about. Let's pray this morning as we open God's Word. Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for a chance to gather as your people, and thank you for the reminder this morning, Lord, that you have given us a place to gather, and uh, we thank you, Lord, for your grace in that. And so this morning, Lord, um, for those uh, of us who are here, for those who are joining online, and I just uh, pray that as we gather, as we've gathered to sing, as we've gathered to pray, Lord, as we'll have opportunity to to give and to respond, Lord, as we turn now our attention to your word, would you speak to us not by our uh, intellectual ability, not by our experience, or not by our feelings, would you speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit using uh, the objective truth and power of your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as uh, we turn again to Jude this morning, just a uh, kind of a very just short recap there. Jude is, is saying, didn't want to uh, write this, but instead he did. As we said just a moment ago, I'm writing this letter, Jude says, because some have crept into the church unaware and their intent is to do damage. And so kind of the foundation there is Jude 4, which says certain people have crept in unnoticed. And so his job is to sound the alarm. They've crept in unnoticed, but the Lord noticed and he's using me. I've noticed the, the what? tower has been focused on them if you will for those of lord of the ring fans the eye of sauron in a good way is upon them right he's, he's been they've been spotted and so i want to help you spot these individuals and know who that we are looking for because these certain people he says there in verse four they're de- they're designated for condemnation they're ungodly they pervert the grace of god into sensuality and they even deny their master and lord jesus christ and so You would like to say, how in the world can someone creep into the church who denies Christ and have a platform to teach and to preach and to lead others astray? Well, that didn't just happen in Jude's time. It even happens today as we look at each week that there are still these certain people. Unfortunately, they didn't snuff them out in the the first century, uh, but they continue today to, to slip into our churches. And I would even dare say easier today than ever before have people slipped into the church and people slipped into the the ears of the church, if you will, who 
are still designated for this condemnation. He gives us some examples there uh, of his judgment that the Lord has against sin and sinners. We see that in those verses. And then we turn to verse 8 and it says, Like manner, these people, where we were last week, they rely not on the word of God. They rely on dreams and visions. Um, la- and, uh, this, excuse me, as we were last week, relying on these dreams and visions to defile the flesh, they reject authority and they blaspheme the glory, glorious ones. And so he kind of launches into this attack and launches into just being very clear of who they are and what they are doing. And so that's what we continue this morning as we'll work through uh, verse 10 and 11 this morning, and we'll spend the next two or three weeks uh, kind of wrapping up this section. But where we are there, we'll just uh, go back to verse 8, and so uh, just kind of help us continue this uh, flow. It says, Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment but said, the Lord rebuke you. And so last week we, we dealt with how they were relying not on the Word of God. They were relying on these visions that were not rooted in the Word. Uh, how they were rejecting authorities, we'll see again this morning. And how they were blaspheming the, the angels, or even probably more specifically, the law that the angels represented. And even their, their continued... Um, contentiousness if you will their blasphemy uh all these their attitude towards god himself and their reliance on self as they as they are taking on authority in their own hands as we know they have no authority so continuing in verse 10 this morning our text this morning says but again these people but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, Jude says, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion." Now, as we continue down this list, we're going to see um, a lot of things that we're kind of familiar with, we've kind of know about, we've kind of heard about. I mean, if we were to take like a quiz this morning, uh, these three that he mentioned specifically, Cain and Balaam and Korah, we would probably make maybe a 60%. You'd probably fail, okay? We know who Cain is. We can probably get most of those details. We know Balaam because of the famous donkey. And if you're not familiar with that, we're going to point to it briefly this morning. But then you get to Korah, and you get real fuzzy, right? Okay, I, I know he's in the Old Testament, but not quite for sure those details. And so what we want to do is we walk through these because he gives about 10 or 11, depending on how you count, uh, he gives about 10 or 11 examples, 10 or 11 comparisons Jude does in these verses, starting in verse 10 down to verse 13. Now, he can rattle, on, rattle them off, and his listeners understand. They understood what it meant to be compared to Cain and Korah and Balaam. They understood these love feasts, and they understood these things that we see in the, in the, the rest of this passage. But we need to kind of back up and, and unpack the context a little bit so that we can rightfully understand what is happening in this text. Whenever he compares these false teachers and these apostates, when he compares these people to Cain, what does he mean? What does he mean whenever he compares them to Balaam and to Korah? And so we're going to look at these this morning and for the next probably two weeks 
And before he gets into these, uh, these specific ones where, uh, as we'll talk about in a moment, that they are woe to them, let us finish verse 10. For he says, but these people, they blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Now, if Jude was writing in the 21st century, he probably wouldn't crack on animals, right? This probably wouldn't be the way to go. But he is comparing these false teachers, he's comparing these, these people, he's launching this attack, and he said, they are like animals. That's how they think. That is how they understand. They lack understanding. They think that they are spiritually minded people. They think that they are heavenly focused, but in reality, they are not. In reality, they are no better than animals who, for all practical purposes, uh, obviously think and have, you know, do whatever, but they do not have understanding. And they are not, and so this is the comparison that he makes. You can go over, we're going to be in 2 Peter a little bit this morning. As we said, 2 Peter is a great parallel to Jude and helps us to kind of understand some things a little better and sees it a little more clearly. When you go to uh, 2 Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 12. We can kind of start even in verse, half of verse 10 there. Bold and willful, they do not tremble. He's speaking of the same people as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against, against them before the Lord. But verse 12, but these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters in which they are ignorant. So, I mean, that's just a very clear shot, right? He takes a very clear shot at these individuals to say, you think that you are leading people to the Lord at best. You think that you are speaking of heavenly matters. You think that you are uh, bringing insight into uh, to spiritual things. But in reality, you are not. Where they think that they are truly spiritual, they are actually truly natural. Go with me over a few more books to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Speaking of this difference between the natural and the spiritual, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, however, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of God. Christ. And we often forget about this significant difference between true believers and those who are unbelievers, from the saved to the lost, from those who have been redeemed, who have been saved, who have looked to Christ. The difference is the Holy Spirit of God. So we like to throw spiritual terms around today in the 21st century, right? And spiritual becomes more not really of a spirit-filled thought, it becomes more of an emotional-filled thought. But spiritual is not just a way of thinking about something. It is thinking of something through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way that we can truly think spiritually is through the Holy Spirit. Any other form of spirituality or spiritual think is false. 
If a person is not thinking, not even through an academic pursuit of Scripture, a lost person can read the Bible and not walk away with truth. Because truth does not come from our ability. Truth comes from the Spirit of God, who by God's grace dwells inside of us. It is a beautiful thing. It reminds us that God does everything. He even helps us to understand the truth that He desires for us to seek through the Spirit. And so whenever we talk about two kinds of people in the world, you have those who who are the natural person and those who are the spiritual person. And Jude makes it very clear that these uh, that he is writing against, they are not spiritual. They do not have the spirit of God inside of them. They are no better than ignorant animals. That is their thought process. They do not have the spirit of God inside of them. One more verse to look at Romans chapter 12 couple books over there romans chapter 12 just one verse romans 12 12 says this i'm sorry romans 12 2 that that does not look right romans 12 2 we'll pick up verse 1 as well i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy acceptable to god with your spiritual worship Do not, Paul says, inspired by the Spirit, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may uh, discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so how are our minds transformed? Through Sunday school, through training union, through seminary. No, right? These things, they help us, right? They equip us and they, uh, they do all kind of good things for us. But that's not what transforms our mind. There is no level of, of, of coming. There's no number of years to come to church that you're transformed. There's not a certain level of parents that transform your mind. It is the Spirit of God that transforms our minds and our hearts. and helps us to see truth and to determine truth and to... Uh, and to defend truth, if you will. And so Judas, he's writing this letter to this church. He's writing this letter to say, these people that have crept in, they are not spiritually minded people. Instead, they are like unreasoning animals. And so he is attacking their understanding. But then he continues. He continues in verse 11. He says, woe to them. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, if you've got much experience in Scripture, that is not an uncommon phrase, woe to them. It is something that we see both in the Old Testament and we see it in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, not to, we're not going to turn to all these places, but you can go to Isaiah, Amos, you can go to Micah, you can go to Nahum, you can go to Habakkuk, you can go to so many other places and see God using prophets to pronounce woes to His people. Woe to you. It's a, wo- it's a word of warning. It says, this is going to be, and it always uh, points to a judgment. If you do this, this is going to happen. So these words of warnings that present themselves as woes. Some of the warnings that the way that they walked would lead to death and destruction. This was the woes we see of the Old Testament prophets. But then you come to the New Testament and we see a lot of woes from one individual. And that one individual is Jesus Christ. Go with me to the book of Matthew real quick. Matthew chapter 23. 
And we're not going to go through, through all of these by any stretch. I just wanted to point you to this passage where Jesus, likewise, He is warning His listeners. And He is speaking to the scribes and Pharisees who we know on this side of Scripture. As we look back and, and we can understand the Pharisees and the scribes, that they are like these that Judah are talking to. They are unreasoning animals. They have not been transformed by the Spirit. They are seeking to understand by their own intellectual pursuit. And they ultimately reject Christ. And so uh, Jesus presents them seven woes here in this passage when he says woe to you in verse 13 scribes and pharisees for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces he says woe to you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple it is nothing but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple he's bound by an oath and he says woe to you in verse 27 verse 25 and verse 29 there are seven woes in there which jesus himself is warning his listeners of the impending judgment for not being, not walking ultimately with Him, and not walking in step by the Spirit, not being transformed by the renewing of their mind, and so now Jude here, and starting in verse eleven, he uses this same approach. He says, "Woe to you, woe to you! Who is the you? These people, the certain people of verse four, that these people of verse eight, that these people of verse ten, to those who are." who are misrepresenting Christ, to those who are misrepresenting the voice of God, to those who are misleading the people of God, to those who have crept into the church, to these false teachers and these false converts who do not have the Spirit of God inside of them. And so Jude now is pronouncing woes on this people. He is warning that the way that they walked would lead to death and destruction. And before we... Uh, we jump into this first woe. Uh, it is interesting, uh, as you'll see many people point out who study the book of Jude, that Jude, I think he's like a Baptist preacher. Because Baptist preacher always speaks in threes, right? And I got your four points this morning, so I bumped it up. But typically, right, you got three points in a poem from a Baptist preacher. And so he loves what we call triads. He loves the uh, kind of groups of three. They go back even to verse one, his introduction. He's Jude, he's a servant, and he's a brother. Uh, and then the second part of verse uh, one, he's called beloved and he's kept. And then you see in verse two, may uh, mercy, peace, and love. And then you see all through uh, even this short, uh, this short letter here, we see... A number of threes. And you go to, uh, to verse 4 there where it says these certain people, they uh, pervert the grace of God, they deny uh, Jesus, and they are uh, sensual in their nature. And so he's always using threes. You see it again in verse 5 through 7 where he's talking about uh, the angels and Israel uh, and Solomon and Gomorrah. And then again in verse 8 where he says that they rely on dreams to follow the f- uh, flesh and reject authority. Uh, or rather, I guess, to reject authority, blaspheme the glorious, glorious ones, and defile the flesh. And so, uh, so again, he kind of approaches this next section, what we call triads. And so this first group here that we're going to deal with this morning is the first group of three. He says, woe, uh, says, woe to you. For three ways they have walked. They, have, they are living a life, and he compares them to three people in the Old Testament. For they walked in the way of one, Cain, and then abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and then perished in Korah's rebellion. So he points now to Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Like we said earlier, we're familiar to some degree with these three individuals, but not completely. So let's take a look at, at how he is comparing these and how... Ultimately, we can take this example, apply it to these teachers in Jude, and also to the false teachers of today. 
So you don't, uh, we can just turn there for the sake of knowing where it's at. If you go to Genesis chapter 4, and it's interesting even to be reminded as we're in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and Jude, the second to last book of the Bible, that the, the Word of God is a thread, right? The truth of God is a thread. It's not, it's not tied into each individual book, but we see the truth of God starts in Genesis here, and it goes all the way through. Of course, we can look at Genesis 3 and see the gospel, the first sign of the gospel, how it's carried out all the way to Revelation. But when you look at Cain, you have to go to Genesis chapter 4. And so I'll probably spend the least amount of time on Cain because we're most familiar with Cain's story. Uh, that Cain and Abel are the, the children of Adam and Eve. The fall has already uh, happened, of course. And uh, there in verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought uh, to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock uh, and of their fat uh, portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So that's the source of this, um, is that Cain did not properly worship the Lord. He did not bring a proper offering, and Abel did. And so what enters into Cain's heart, most people associate Cain with murder, which rightfully so, because he goes on to kill his brother. If you kill your brother, and you're like, a, the, like the second generation of human race, you should be considered a murderer, okay? And that's going to follow him all of of his days and it follows him even now thousands of years later but the mark the, the 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 ultimate thing of cain what he's really ultimately should be known for is less about murder but and this is not we even see this is not the concern of jude because jude's concern is not that false teachers are slipping into the church and killing people we have no no uh, no hint of that whatsoever that'd be he shouldn't have to write about that right they had to shut that down in a heartbeat so it wasn't that, that these false teachers were slipping in and murdering people, but like Cain, it says, Woe to you who walk in the way of Cain. And so the way of Cain was not ultimately about murder, but it was about pride and envy. It was about pride and envy and even hatred. And we can look to Cain and we can see these sins of envy, pride, and hatred clearly in his life. We see, and many what will point to Cain's selfishness. That it was about what he had to bring, what he had to offer, not what the Lord wanted. And so as, as his selfishness led to his pride, which led to his envy, which led ultimately to his hatred, which ultimately led to the murder of his brother. So he's motivated by all sorts of sin. He's motivated by primarily by pride and envy. He was, filled, he was filled with envy and fueled with hatred, and this is what caused him to kill his brother. Now, I believe there is a, a connection that you can make with, with the, the murder of uh, uh, the, the murderous Cain who killed his brother to more of a spiritual murder that these false prophets, these false teachers, these who have crept into the church, that they are not about bringing life to their listeners. They're not about bringing life to their followers, but ultimately the message they have leads to death. So in the same way, these people who are motivated by envy and hatred, they seek to destroy the church. And that is what we see even today in the 21st century. Whenever we look at false teachers, when we look at those on TV and on podcasts, that they are not truly uh, part of the bride of Christ. They do not have the Spirit of God inside of them, and they are not teaching the, the Word of God, but they are instead, they are false teachers. And part of their motivation is to destroy the church. 
Now, they may believe what they are saying uh, over these years, but ultimately their purpose is to do damage to the church, to the true church, to the true bride of Christ. And so Jude says, Woe to you, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. So he's describing for his listeners how they walk, how they live, how they go about, what their motivations are, what their pursuits are. And when they made this connection to Cain, they clearly knew that it was a path of death, it was a path of pride, it was a path of of envy, it was a path of hatred. It was not a path of the Lord. No one associates Cain with walking with the Lord. So it says, woe to those who walk in the way of Cain. But then secondly, he continues, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. So they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. And again, let's turn to 2 Peter for a quick moment. 2 Peter uh, 2.15, just a few verses down from where we were earlier. But Peter says this, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Now, it is very helpful to have Jude and have Peter and have a few other verses to help us to rightfully understand the story of Balaam. Now, if you want to flip with me back to uh, Numbers, and we're going to uh, be in Numbers for a while because that's both where the story of Balaam and Korah are. But the story of Balaam is found beginning in Numbers chapter 22. And if you read Numbers 22 and 23 and you kind of go back to this, this, um, to the original account, it becomes a little difficult to understand exactly what's going on. Even as we've said before about Lot, if we didn't have uh, Peter... Um, if we didn't have Second Peter, it'd be difficult to understand the heart of Lot, that he was, I said the heart of Lot, the fate of Lot, that he was righteous. As we see in the New Testament, it calls Lot righteous. So we understand his, uh, we understand how the Lord was using him. Similar to Balaam, if you read this, it seems like he is, uh, that he is walking with the Lord. But what we're going to see at the end of his life, and especially in Second Peter and Jude, it is not the way that you want to walk. He is not truly walking with the Lord. So if you read Numbers 22 and 24, it can be a little difficult to understand the heart of Balaam. It seems that he is walking in faith, but indeed he is not. So basically the, the story, uh, to, to put it, I guess, in, in a summary fashion, uh, you have, you start there in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 22. It says, the people of Israel set out and encamped in the plains of Moab. And so they, they are camped up, and here's Balak. He, uh, he's, he's the son of Zippor, so all the Israel done, the Amorites. And ultimately, he gets scared. So here are these people of Israel, and they're going to set themselves against me, and I want someone to come and, and curse them. And so he sets out for Balaam to come curse them, and Balaam says, no, he offers them money. Then he offers them more money. And then Ultimately, we see that he sets out and he goes uh, towards uh, to go to Balak to do what Balak wants to do. And that's the, the, the fun story there in verses 22 through, uh, through 30 of chapter 22 of Numbers, the story of the donkey. And so we see in Jude, we see ignorant animals who have no sense. And then we see in Numbers 22, animals who talk and animals who are, have enough insight to turn away from the angel of the Lord with the sword. And so lots of great things going on here that you can spend some time in this week. But my point is, and so uh, all this happens with Balaam, but you want, if you want to see the heart and the end of Balaam, you go to Numbers 
Numbers chapter 31. Numbers chapter 31, verse 16. And one verse sums everything up and sums up one of the two truths of Balaam that, that Jude is warning against. Numbers 31, 16. Behold, these on Balaam's advice, his counsel, calls the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came amongst the congregation of the Lord. It is, it is the counsel of Balaam. It is his teaching. It is the teaching of Balaam that, that, that misled the people of God and led to their judgment in this particular incident. And then we see in uh, in Second Peter, where it's not just his teaching, but it's his teaching motivated for money. So we see that ultimately the picture of Balaam from uh, from Numbers, from Second Peter, from Jude, that his sin, the reason we don't walk in the way of Balaam, and the reason that these people were walking in the way of Balaam was because they were desiring to lead people's God to to lead the people of God astray and to do so for profit, to do so for material gain. We see this often in the New Testament of these false teachers who are motivated by money. And this is the condemnation that Jude pronounces on these people that they are leading others to sin for financial gain. Does that sound too far off from the 21st century? Does that sound too far off from the, from the false teachers that we can turn our television on to today, that we can go to their podcast, that we can see their posts, that we can go to the bookstore and see, um, and see their books? And not that making money is bad, and Scripture speaks to that. Uh, it's not that the money is the issue, it's the love of money. So we see that Balaam, we see the false prophets in the Old Testament, we see false teachers in the New Testament, and specifically these false teachers in Jude, they are motivated, it seems, by money. And what are they doing with that motivation? They're leading God's people astray. So Jude is saying, woe to those who would lead God's people away, especially for the sake of money. But whether it's money or not, anyone who would lead God's people astray. We see the harsh warnings of Jesus in his teachings. It would be better for them never to be born, Jesus says. So do not lead the people of God astray. He says, woe to him who walks in the way of Cain. Woe to him who walks in the way of Balaam. And then thirdly here, we have woe to him who walks in the way of Korah. So back to Numbers we go. A little bit earlier in Numbers. Numbers chapter 16. Story of Korah. If you read number 16, it is definitely a lot easier to see the error of Korah's way from the beginning. No danger of misinterpreting Korah's rebellion here. We'll read a few verses. Number 16, the first few verses. Number 16, 1 through 3. It says, Now Korah, the son of Ishar, son of Koath, son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abram, the sons of Elab, and, uh, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of uh, Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel. So again, just similar to Balaam. He is leading other people astray. And this time, not just astray in their understanding and their teaching, but now in their actions. So he 
has led them to be against Moses. 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. You know you're not on the right foot when you and a whole bunch of your, your boys step up against Moses and say, you've gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. And why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And so they stand against Moses. They accuse Moses of being prideful. They say that, uh, that we do not want to submit to the, to the, the ultimate, to the authority that you and Aaron have. And Moses hears it, and he falls on his face, and he talks to the Lord. And so, uh, so lots of things are happening here at number 16. You hop down to verse 11. To see specifically what's happening. It says, therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all of your company have gathered. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? And so Moses makes it very clear. I want you to understand, you're not against me. You're not against my leadership principles. I didn't make some mistakes. It's not me that you have issue with. It's not Aaron that you have issue with. The one that you have issue with is God Almighty. So it makes it very clear who they're against before they do something stupid. And of course, they do something stupid. They continue to be against the Lord. And so, and you can go back and read all of number 16 and see all the details of this uh, rebellion, but you can jump down to verse 31. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these things, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. And so they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed up over them and they perished from amidst their assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. So it's very clear here what's happening in Korah's rebellion. That Korah and others, they rise up against not just Moses, not just Aaron. They rise up against God. And even once they're clearly confronted with their sin and who they're against, they continue. And so they continue against God. They continue rebelling against the Lord, rebelling against His leadership, rebelling against those that He has placed in authority to lead His people. And they suffer not just consequences, they suffer and pay with their very own lives, the lives of their family and the lives of all their belongings. The Lord completely wipes them off the face of the planet. And so we have here is an issue of rejecting the Lord and rejecting the authority of the Lord. And specifically, I'd say in this context of Jude, you see that these people, they are rejecting leadership in the church. And as they reject leadership in the church, they're rejecting the leadership of the Lord. This is an aspect of church authority in view here. If you go to, to Hebrews that we walked through uh, not too long ago, the end of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. 
And so there is an aspect here that we can look at even in the New Testament. As the New Testament church is, uh, is, is being brought to life and as God is, is assembling elders and leading the church and helping the, uh, the church know how they should be formed and how, how they should honor Him. Part of this is these are creeping into the church to reject that authority. And through Jude, God reminds him, woe to you who would reject the authority of God. But we know that the authority of God, the primary authority of God, is not found in its people, but is found in His Word. So if we reject God's authority, we reject the authority of God's Word, we reject God Himself. And we find ourselves walking in the way of Korah's rebellion and anyone who ever teach that any part of God's word is not good for teaching correcting and training a person in righteousness if there's anyone who would teach and we see this even in the early church we see men uh, who start to to arise in, in leadership in the early church in the second and third century who would say most of this is good but not all of it or there are some parts that are really good but the rest is not good at all we call those heretics and so then we see these creeping into the church even from the very beginning and they have not stopped. Men and women still creep into the church to deny the authority of God through His Word. And as we reject God's authority, we reject God Himself. So therefore, biblical church authority is a combination of these two. God has appointed elders to lead His church, but the authority that has been given to the elders of the church is the proper understanding and application of His Word. And we say this often. Outside the truth of the Bible, elders have no authority. Authority comes from God's Word. If your elders at North Hills ever leads in a way that is against God's Word, that elder should be dismissed promptly and quickly. If there's a pastor that you enjoy listening to or a leader that you enjoy listening to and they, uh, and they sidestep Scripture, they diminish the authority of Scripture, they should be dismissed in your life as well. Because biblical authority is found in God's Word only. And so these people, they were headed towards judgment. Not only for the rejection of God's authority, but for leading others to do the same. And this was the cancer that was found in the church, that was creeping in. And what started off subtle and, and, and dangerous in an isolated event is now spreading through the church. And Jude is right and say, Woe to them who would do this. Woe to them who would encourage you to walk in the way of Cain. Woe to them who would cause you to walk in the way of Balaam. Woe to them who would cause you to walk in the way of Korah. And it's interesting to me that you'll notice that the, the reference to Korah, if you, I don't know if you noticed or not, but the reference to Korah is not chronological. He didn't go back to the oldest thing. He didn't start with Korah and then go to Balaam. He went to Balaam first, which happened after Korah. So why would he do that? Why would he not go in order as he's walking down this list, this list of woes? If he's going to list three people, he started with Cain, the oldest event. Why wouldn't he just go in order? And I believe it's important to note that what we see in the rebellion of Korah is we see final judgment. We see final judgment. And even speaking to the place of Jude in the canon, I believe we've, we've brought this out already, but someone had asked me, why, why is Jude where it is in the Bible? 
And the same reason I believe that Kor's Rebellion is where it is here in the text is because ultimately this is leading to final judgment. That those who reject the Lord, those who reject Christ, those who reject the authority of God, ultimately are bound for final judgment. And so we see that in Balaam's, um, in Balaam's error, as it says there, his, ultimately he gave his life. We see in Korah's rebellion is we see a fuller picture of God's judgment against sin and sinners as he engulfed an entire people for the sin that was found in the camp. So we were reminded, as Jude points us to these three individuals, as he reminds us of what it means to, uh, to be spiritually minded and not earthly minded, we see that this, this call to clearly guard the gospel. We see this call not to walk in the way of Cain, not to walk in the way of Balaam, not to walk in the way of Korah. So we have to guard our hearts. We have to guard the gospel. We have to guard um, those who are in our life. And we have to be willing not only to discern the truth, but to defend the truth. And ultimately, this is as we've said from the beginning, this is what Jude is doing for his people, is to help them to discern the truth and to defend the truth. To discern the bride of Christ, to discern those who are truly his, and to defend against those who are not his. And that warning call, that, that battle call, if you will, is still true for us today, that we need to be on guard against those who would lead the church against the authority of God, who would lead the church against the truth of God's Word, who would lead anyone against being spiritually sound in mind, who would lead anyone against their need ultimately for Christ. For it is Christ who saves. It is Christ, going back to verse 1 there, It is Christ who calls. It is Christ that we experience the love of God. And it is Christ who keeps His church. And so may we look in faith to the Lord. And may we look to Him to defend His church. And we'll continue in these woes next week. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for this morning.